All right, guys, so we're in lesson four. I've entitled this uh, The Foolishness of God. If you remember, Paul starts out his letter, of course, you know, he was thankful for them, but then he immediately went into the problem. He had gotten a report that they were fighting among themselves, and what they were fighting about was is they had gravitated towards certain leaders, okay? So some were following him, some were following Apollos, some were saying they were following Cephas, and really spiritual folks were saying they were of Jesus. So he's going to continue on in his discussion about this, and he's going to point out some things. He, he's moved away from the whole issue of... He's, before he talked about that Christ's body is not divided. It's not good for them to be in factions. Now he's going to talk about... And Bruce kind of brought this up last week when we talk about why we have fights in a church. Remember Bruce mentioned ego? Okay. So he's going to kind of address the whole issue of ego today. And ego is, is where you think you think of yourselves better than you should, right? Am I correct in saying that? When we talk about people having a big ego, you know what I'm saying? And so these folks really did think more of themselves than they should have. So let's take a look at this. We're going to talk, first of all, the wisdom of the cross. So he's going to point some things out to them. Look with me at verse 18. We're going to go to verse 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. All right, so let's take a look at this. First of all, he's going to talk to help you understand, he's going to talk about the reception of the gospel. So everybody understand what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. It's the cross. It's his going and dying for us on the cross, okay? So the first thing I want you to notice here, so here's what he says in verse 18. So first of all, when we talk about the gospel, it's utter foolishness to the perishing. Have you, have you found that to be true? When, when you talk to people, I, I literally have had somebody years ago say to me, you mean to tell me you believe that somebody had to literally go through that kind of death and be put on a cross for your sins to be forgiven? That's just craziness. And, of course, if you think about it, we live in a culture where you attain things by doing, okay? A world, basically around the world, right, where you... You, the better you do, the better kind of person you are, the more things you are. Even, even with Hinduism, you'll come back in a better life. Uh, if not, you'll come back 
something else, you know what I'm saying? And so the reality of the gospel is just foolishness. It's just foolishness to them. But to you and I who are being saved, here's what he says, the gospel is the power to save those who believe. So, yeah, so the fact is for for you and I, maybe foolishness to everyone, but you and I who grasp the reality, we, we understand, our eyes are open to it, it's the power to save us, okay? It's the power to save us. Now, why does he want to bring that up? Because these folks in Corinth thought they were smart. They thought that basically whatever their factions were, you know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Jesus, their egos had gotten in, so what happens with most disputes, you think you know better than anybody else, okay? Well, he's kind of wanting to bring them down to size here by saying, look, do you realize the message that you embraced for salvation to the rest of the world is foolishness? The rest of the world, it's craziness that you would even embrace that. You know what I'm saying? In fact, hey, is that not true today? Most people think that Christians are nuts, right? Yeah, isn't that true? They don't see the way you see. They literally think you you are off your rocker because it doesn't make sense. Do you know what I'm saying? doesn't make sense. And so they try to relegate what you believe to, oh, that's just your religion or your, your crazy thought or whatever, okay? Well, here's what he's going to show you. Is he, he's going to compare now the wisdom of God to the foolishness of human wisdom, okay? So look with me at verse 19. In verse 19, he's quoting Isaiah here, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So here's what he is. He, Paul quotes Isaiah to show that God sees human wisdom as nothing. Nothing. So you think you're smart. Okay? But as far as God sees it, it's nothing. Do you know what I'm saying? So here you are, you're, the, you're these leaders, and you think you're doing great, but you've, you're following, you're, you're causing a ruckus, your egos are taking over. The fact is, human wisdom is meaningless. Meaningless. I, that's a pretty humbling thing, because I'd like to think all the, the years I spent getting education and studying and stuff that I kind of figured some things out, and some things I haven't figured out, I'm never going to figure out, I would kind of think of myself as, uh, I'm not dumb, okay? But but God's saying, you know, I'm going to thwart human wisdom. I'm going to uh, destroy it. It's nothing to me, all right? So then look with me, verse 20, he's, he just flat out rejects it. Look at what he says there. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? A scribe would be someone who would be recording God's word, okay? Where is the debater of the age? So he's kind of addressing Gentiles. Gentiles were really into debates. Who's the guy here who thinks he's a good debater, huh? Who, who is it? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? This, this is the bottom line. You know, where, where are these people? You're talking about God here. He's made foolish. So here's what I want you to see. God has disregarded human wisdom and shown it to be foolish. He's disregarded human wisdom and shown it to be foolish. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God would ever ask you to do something that just seems crazy? Do you? Well, you don't know. But is it possible that what he's asking you to do, everybody else will think that's totally nuts. Why are you doing that? Bruce says yes. You agree? Yeah. See, we need to come to that kind of conclusion that even for us sometimes, like, well, I don't know that I want to do that, Lord. I talk to him sometimes. That just doesn't make any sense. Well, when did it have to make sense to me? Do you see, this is the point he's making here, okay? So, all right, so there is a limit to human wisdom. So he kind of gives us what the limits are. Here's what he says. For since, verse 21, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. All right, now here's the limits, okay? First of all, verse 21, 22. Human wisdom cannot understand God and bring salvation. So do you understand our world operates in what? Matter. Physical, okay? So... The part of what I hear people say about their rejection of God, there's no way to prove that he's there. Okay. Yeah, there's no way to prove. I, for years, when I was a younger Christian, was, was the group that I was involved in was really big into apologetics and trying to find the arguments to prove the existence of God. The bottom line is you can study all that, but it's still going to come down to a heart issue as to whether or not somebody wants to believe it or not. There's not enough proof there. You understand there's, there's not enough proof. I think there is. Okay, fine. But I'm telling you, the human mind cannot comprehend God. Human wisdom cannot comprehend that he exists. So therefore, because it can't comprehend it, it can't explain it, therefore, it must be what? False. And that's the presumption that our whole society works on. That's the presumption our whole world works on. So human wisdom can't understand God, and it can't bring you salvation. Hey, look, what's the world's attempts to bring, quote, some sort of salvation? It's pretty bad, isn't it? Do you know what I'm saying? Nothing that the world offers can bring you total satisfaction, can it? No. No, not at all. There's nothing that satisfies the soul. So here's the next thing I want you to see, okay? The next thing is, that God used what is foolish to bring salvation. So here's what God does. God confounds human wisdom, and he uses what is foolish 
to bring salvation. Now, what is foolish? Remember what I told you that guy said to me? You mean to tell me you believe a guy died on a cross for your salvation? Okay. That doesn't make sense. Now, if I told you the way to salvation is to make a pilgrimage to a certain site six times in your lifetime, to wear sackcloth and ashes, and that will bring it to you, that would make sense. Do you know what I'm because that's something I have to do. But you're telling me I don't have to do anything. He did it for me by, by suffering a death that he didn't deserve on a cross. I, that's just craziness. That's just craziness. So God uses the foolish to bring salvation. He used the foolish to bring salvation. Here's the other thing I want you to see about the limits. Jews want physical evidence. Remember that during Jesus? When Jesus was here, by the way, which I always thought it was crazy that they asked that. They kept asking him for a what? Another sign, yeah. Like, what more do you need him to do? You made somebody blind. See, now, when you read through the Old Testament, you're not going to find any healing of the blind in the Old Testament. Now, you're going to hear a prophecy in the Old Testament about the Messiah will come and do that. So here he is, he's healing the blind, and you want another sign? He's raising the dead? That just happens all the time here at Kerbinsville, doesn't it? You know what I'm saying? Raising the dead? I mean, no, that, that's not a Clearfield County thing. That, that just doesn't happen. You need another sign? So the Jews wanted more practical evidence. Now, here's what it is for the Greeks. The Greeks are you and I. They're the Gentiles, okay? The Gentiles insisted on wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. What do you mean? They wanted to proofs. They wanted to to show that they could test it by science or whatever, or, or by logic and so forth. They, they wanted wisdom so that they could debate it. And, and this is what the limits of human wisdom is, okay? Paul's making that point very clear here. So then he's going to tell us what the nature of the cross is. I already read it to you, verse 23 and 24. First of all, the crucified Messiah is a stumbling block to the Jews. That's true to this day. Do you want to know why they reject Jesus today? Because he's crucified. That doesn't make sense to them. In their mind, the Messiah was supposed to come back and what? Kick the Romans out. Today, it's kick Hamas out. Kick, you know what I'm saying? Reestablish the kingdom. Bring peace bring the future the way Israel was supposed to have the future, give them the land and, and give them the promises. And you're telling me the guy who was crucified did that? They can't, they can't grasp that. That doesn't make sense. That They reject him for that. Did you understand? Now, if he had showed up on a white horse like he is in the end, they would believe him. But the fact is they reject him, okay? So the crucified Messiah is a stumbling block to the Jews. Now, what about the rest of us who are Gentiles? Well, he goes on and he says here, it is utter foolishness to the Gentiles. It's utter foolishness to the Gentiles. You know, it's interesting. We, we're looking at a world right now where people are just walking away. 
and 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 I've been hearing people in the church like not understanding, not understanding, why is why is why is this happening? Well, I, I think that there is freedom now for people to walk away today. Some of it is because of the internet. Some of it's because of our culture and everything. Some of it's just simply because we live in an age where people can just say, I don't believe it, I'm gone. I don't have to come because of this or for that reason and whatever multiple reasons. Because before, we had people who came to our churches who didn't believe. Now they don't have to come. It's okay to not come. Our culture has shifted from before. I can remember 30, 40, 50 years ago where someone's status in the community was based upon what church they went to. Do you remember that? If you went to the, quote, good churches, established churches, and, oh, but you go to that church. Do you know what I'm saying? But our culture has shifted from the fact where nobody goes to church anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? No, but 10 years ago, did you realize that only 40% of Clearfield County goes to church? Or says they go to church? 40% of the county. Half of that 40% are Catholic. Okay? So the other 20% are between all of the different Protestant denominations. Do, do you realize that? And of that, of that 20, 40% are Methodist. So think about that. that that's, it, that's interesting to me. That was 10 years ago, and it's probably changed even more so now. So the reality is we, we live in a world where a lot of people just flat out view this as what? Foolishness. Well, why did they come then? Well, because grandma brought them or they're here because of family or whatever, but, and they'll sit through it. Maybe the message will be okay this week or whatever. You know, this is the reality. This is the limits of, of human wisdom. And the nature of the cross is that it's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. But here's the point he wants to make to you. Remember what he said here. The cross is God's wisdom and his power for salvation. That's, that's reality. The cross is God's wisdom and his power for salvation. Now you say, George... Why are we talking about this? I thought we were talking about people who were feuding among themselves and their egos and everything. Well, he's going to get to this in a moment here. He's going to get to them because they obviously are thinking too highly of themselves. So let's look with me now. First of all, verse 25, the greatness of God's wisdom, the foolishness and the weakness of God is greater than man's wisdom. So God's foolish. That's kind of a crazy thing to think. Could God be foolish? No. But if he could, it's still greater than our greatest wisdom. And if God could be weak, still greater than our all our strength, right? So he's going to talk about the Corinthian believers now. He's going to bring it back home. He's going to look with me at verse 26 to 31, and here's what he says. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low 
and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. For because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Okay, remember, what are they boasting in? They're boasting in, I follow Paul, okay? And they boast in, I follow Apollos, and I follow Cephas, and I'm, 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 I'm better than all of you guys. I follow Jesus, you know what I'm saying? And, and what he's saying here is, is that they're, they're, they've got these huge egos, but he wants to point out to them the reality of who they really are. And what did God save? Okay? All right, so let's talk about what's going on here. So the first thing I want you to see is the, 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 their state. Paul calls them to take notice of the kind of people they are. So, so he says, hold, hold on a second, guys. Pay attention to who you are. Pay attention to who you are. Do you do, do understand what I'm saying? Pay attention to who you are. Because what, what you're doing and the boasting and the ego that's driving you and your factions and your argument, you need to stop for a moment and think about who you are. Humble yourself. Realize who you are. Why? Well, here's, here's what he's going to say. God purposely saved the insignificant to shame the wise and the strong of the world. What do you mean? Look at what he says here. He looks, tells them, he says, but God chose the foolish. So what does he say here? First of all, he says, not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. So first of all, he's talking about, okay, so you think you're all-knowing and powerful and you know, and you've got this group and you've got this big ego, you think you've got it all together? How do you compare to everybody else as far as smarts? You say, that's pretty bold that he's doing it. Well, look, he's trying to get their attention. He's trying to get their attention. So how do you compare? Look at what else he says here. Not many of you are powerful. How many of you are power brokers in Clearfield County? Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? How many of us have that kind of power in Clearfield County? Do we? No. No. So he's saying, well, for them in Corinth, how many of you are that powerful? Here, look what else he says. Not many of you are of noble birth. That means that you came from the right families. For them, it was aristocracy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think if you live long enough in Clearfield County, you kind of know there are certain family names that you know in the county that, that just seem to be in a different, different social stat stratosphere from everybody else, right? And it's like, okay, well, how many of you are from that? Really? I mean, so what are you compared to the rest of the world? insignificant. I think that's hard for us to grasp, right? Now, the problem is, like with any church, it's kind of like when you're in a church, it's a small pond, and it's easy to become a big fish in a small pond, right? But when you put those fish in the ocean, they're nothing. And that's the point he's trying to make here, okay? They're nothing. God purposely saved the insignificant to shame the wise and the strong of this world, that's, that's reality. It wasn't... Be, he, so what does this mean, George? Well, think about it for a moment. 
He didn't save you because there was something special about you that was going to change the world. He saves you because of his grace. Bottom line. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? He saved you because of his grace. He saves the insignificant. All right, so let's look here then. The reason, look with me at verse 29. Look at what he says here, verse 29. He says, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. What's going on here? Well, God's purpose was so that no one could boast in his presence. So one day when everybody appears before Jesus, they're going to, nobody's going to stand before him and say, isn't that a great thing you did, Lord, saving me? Because you knew you needed me. You needed me, Lord. At that time, when I was born in that age, I was key to your plan. Do you think anybody's going to act like that before the Lord? No. No. He, he chooses the foolish because he really doesn't need any of us, does he? But he chooses us, and he's not choosing the superior, okay? Not choosing the superior. Look now, Christ alone personified the wisdom from God which they experienced. True wisdom was personified in who? Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his dying for us, accepting us as we are. So then... True boasting is centered on the person, the work and the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying to get here. So if you really want to boast, don't be boasting about Paul. Don't be boasting about Cephas. Don't be boasting about Apollos. Or don't be boasting about how wise you are and you think this issue needs to be this way or whatever in a church fight or whatnot. True boasting is found in who? Jesus Christ and what he's done and who he's chosen. So Paul then is going to illustrate it through his life. And he's going to do that in verse chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Okay, but before I go on, anybody got a comment here? Everybody grasp what he's saying? Any questions so far? In what sense, too? Uh, yeah, but even it, but okay, yeah, you can say that, but I would say even in, let's say, just a group of Baptists, well, I follow this preacher over here at this church, or I follow this preacher over here at this church. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I listen to him, and I listen to him, and what he says is, you know, I do what he says. It doesn't have to be denominations. You can be in the same group and have the same thing going on. It doesn't even have to be you being in a group of churches, it can happen in your own church. You know, I, I, you know, we have two elders here besides myself. So we have, we have Randy and Bruce. And some would say, well, I really appreciate the, the wisdom of Randy. Yeah, but I follow the wisdom of Bruce. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and like, and then like, that can happen within your own congregation. The point is, when you are boasting in someone else, Period. It could be a political leader. It can be anyone. It's meaningless. Because who's the one who's ultimately in charge? Yeah. And what, does he only control what goes on in church? 
Everything, right? So boast in what is right and who is right, not some deacon or elder or guy on TV or whatever. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't even have to be church. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Your focus is on who? The Lord. And, and let me just stop for a moment. You say, well, man, people would think we're crazy in the world. Whoa, didn't he just say that? Didn't he just say that the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world? This, this is the point he's making here. So then Paul, he wants to come along and give a personal example here. Look with me at verses 1 to 5. When I first started out preaching uh, 30 years ago, I took this section of verses and put it in the front of my Bible and prayed this. This is what Paul says. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit of God, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Okay? So let's talk about this. First of all, his manner. Paul did not proclaim the gospel with clever speech and wisdom. The last thing he wanted to do was be known as the guy who was the great eloquent speaker. He didn't come to them with clever speech and wisdom. He just came with a simple message. He proclaimed. Here's what I want you to see. His mindset, he purposely chose to focus on the cross of Christ. So when you heard Paul speak, he didn't talk about local issues or politic issues in his day. He focused on one message alone, one message. What was that? The cross of Jesus Christ. Let's look here. Notice now his disposition. His general disposition was one of fear and weakness. Now, if you go back to Acts, Acts chapter 18 is where Paul comes to Corinth, all right? But if you look at chapter 17, where he was before, he was being stoned, he was being attacked, he was suffering for the message, and he went to Corinth to get away from all that. So he shows up in Corinth with fear and what? Trembling. That was his general disposition. Nervous. Why? Because the message he's proclaiming is bringing what to him? Suffering. Okay? So he didn't just show up almighty and boastful, like I've got this message and I'm doing it. No, he, he's timid. Okay? So his general disposition is one of fear and weakness. Here's the other thing I want you to see. So he purposely chose not to speak with human wisdom. Purposely chose not to speak with human wisdom. He wanted their faith to be rooted in the power of the cross, not human wisdom. Okay. I was thinking as I was reading that verse, I've seen this illustrated. How have you seen it illustrated? It happens every time a preacher falls. And they do fall, right? And because of that, there's a big 
crisis within the church and you have people who I, I've, I've witnessed it. I, I had a friend who pastored a large church and uh, when he fell, people just left the church in droves. People didn't just leave the church in droves. Some of them left the faith. How's that possible? Well, what were they putting their faith in? You said it, Tim, the preacher. When they should have been putting it in who? Christ. Now, Paul says, look, he wanted their faith to be rooted in the power of the what? The cross, not human wisdom. And so when you, you have folks who get focused on an individual, and by the way, can, can we realize this? Do human beings mess up? Are human beings perfect? Do they make right decisions? Sometimes they make right decisions, but do they always make right decisions? No. Do they, will they screw up with you? Yes. So if you're resting your faith in a dude, you're always going to be disappointed. That's true, Bruce. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's what he's trying to do here. He wants to show up and give a message so that their faith is in what's right rather than in him. Did you understand what he's saying? Bruce said, if their faith is in the guy and the guy falls and they walk away from the faith, it never was in what was right. Yes, that's true. Because their faith was based on the eloquence of a speaker. But if their faith is in the cross, whatever happens to the speaker happens. Because he's what? Human. And he messes up too. Now, that doesn't give him an excuse for what he did. doesn't give anybody an excuse. But the reality is, is my faith isn't in man. My faith is in who? God. That's what reality should be. My faith is in the cross. Paul says he shows up and says, I didn't come to you with eloquent words so you could look to me. I came just preaching the simple message of the cross so that you could look to who? Jesus. And that gets really to the heart of what's going on here because remember what they're saying? I heard that some of you are saying, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Jesus. They're dividing into these groups centered on individuals. And that's not good. Because their message needs to be, their focus, their faith needs to be based on cross, the cross of Christ. God, Jesus, the reality. Okay? So, next week, we're going to progress right along. He's going to continue in this discussion of these, of their fighting. 